Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Sleep Startle, a new podcast by me, Maya Carlton. Every week, I'll be presenting one of my short stories that I have written devised from one of my insanely crazy dreams. Now, these dreams aren't exactly what's written in the stories. The stories obviously have to be kind of pared down from what a typical dream looks like. But today, I'll be presenting one of my oldest and probably best written stories, Black Tendrils and Unforgiving Abyss by me. So why don't we give it a whirl? 1. The New Haven State Prison towered above them. It was a silver bell, ringing of death and chaos, in contrast to the surrounding town of Canterbury. It loomed five miles out of the small, sweet town. Close since 1965, the prison became a tourist attraction and a local nightmare. Canterbury is an overly spiritual town, with locals believing that the prison and all those who used to reside there were condemned by God to burn in the eternal hell forever. Of course, with the damnation by the town, it drove troves of people to see the hell for themselves. Today, the air was off, the fog rolled in, most people decided to stay home and wait for a better time to visit, but not everyone. Kyler, I'm cold. We shouldn't have come. This sucks, Laura whined. They had been waiting for the tour guide for 20 minutes, and Laura could only think of how she hated the idea and how ominous the prison before them felt. You should have dressed warmer. I told you that before we left the house. He's coming, I promise, Kyler soothed. The two may bicker like siblings, but were deeply in love and to be married in a few months. As the two continued to argue, a white van slowly rolled into the gated entrance of the prison, parking carefully behind their small sedan. Everything about the day seemed off to the couple, but Kyler had been wanting to visit New Haven for months, so the two forced the thoughts to the back of their minds in hopes of a good time. The tour guide, Jake, was tall and lean, mid-fifties and starting to bald. Laura was slightly uncomfortable, but Kyler's presence always soothed her. Jake started his spiel instantly, as soon as he was within earshot of them. This is New Haven State Prison, or as the locals like to call it, your own personal hell in a cell. The couple chuckled at the gimmicky joke that Jake had told a million times. The enormous prison was made entirely of sandstone and stood six stories high. The prison was opened in early 1900s, but the large monument stood for most likely many centuries prior. It was perfect for a prison, almost as if... It was originally built to house many, many people, with small cubicle rooms throughout the top five floors and long corridors accompanying them. It would take at least six hours to see the entirety of New Haven, so the tour stuck to the first and second floors. The exact construction of the prison is unknown. In the period they believed the building to be dated, sandstone would have been extremely difficult to traffic in, as it was not native to the surrounding landscapes. The building was still pristine, with not one point crumbling or cracking, and would most likely stand another century before the weather took its toll. The inside was mock set up as the prison had once looked. It was almost as if Kyler and Laura got to be prisoners for the day, going through processing before entering the general cafeteria and recreational areas. There was only a few fluorescent lights overhead, just enough to see around five feet in all directions. The building had no windows and was very dank and cold, as if being under 20 feet of soil. 
The three continued to weave through the space, up the stairs, and onto the second floor. The long corridor extended before them. It looked as though it had never ended, just got darker and darker. Lining both the sides were the eight six-by-eight jail cells. The only addition to the building's original architecture were the thick metal jail cell doors added to the rooms. Most prisoners transferred to New Haven died in these cells. New Haven was notoriously known for the poor living conditions and large-scale riots. Everyone brought here was convicted of crimes too horrible to name, and many believed they deserved this kind of treatment. In January of 1965, there was another of the riots they had become so known for. Although this one was different, the riot incited a large-scale fire within the building. With no windows to jump out of, the prisoners and guards were either able to make it out one of the four sets of doors or left to burn alive. The most curious thing about the fire is that sandstone is flame-resistant and would never burn. Once all the carbon matter inside was burned, the flame put itself out. Only the carnage remained, and all corpses were piled up and pushed out onto the outside grounds. As they walked back down the stairs, their footfalls echoed, leaving only an eerie feeling that when the bounced off, back off the walls, you'd hear the screams of those trying to push through the flames for a way out. The grounds of the prison were abysmal, consisting only of dead grass and a few old burned trees. The gray metal fence surrounded them was cut and torn, open in many different places, and on the other side was the green glow from a lake. Lake Anua was much deeper than it was long, approximately 2,000 feet deep, but only five football fields in length. On one side was a large rock formation, accumulating into a cliff overlooking a sheet of rock and holes. It reminded Laura of when she would go ice fishing and bore holes in the frozen over lake to drop her line into. Though this sheet of rock did not cover the whole lake, it stopped a quarter of the way and the rest was just a natural green pit. It looked thick, as if the water were all a black ooze, but lapped onto the east shore like a standard pristine water source. The couple started towards the cliff as Jack concluded the tour and headed back for his old white van. As they heard his engine kick on and then drone off into the distance, they realized how quiet the air was. They were the only living thing in miles. 2. Underwater Dead, a film no one in their right mind could sit through, was loosely based on the waters of Lake Noah. The late 70s film was a full of gore and zombies. Any cultured filmgoer recognized it as one of the best cult classics of its era. It was one of the main reasons people from all over were drawn to the lake and its murky green water. While gore and zombies may draw in most of its crowd, there is a much darker and mysterious past to this lake. Lake Anoa was an, always hailed as mystical. The Native Americans believed if you jumped into the correct star of the constellation formed by the watering holes in the rock formation, whatever universal question you may have would be answered. Although, the only way to share said wisdom would be to make it back to the surface. The story goes, all who jumped never reappeared, and many questions of love and loss were left unanswered. After the prison was opened in 1900, dead prisoners were not buried. They were simply tossed in the lake. The water was dark enough no one would ever see the evidence, and the administrators were able to get away with murder. By the time the prison closed down in 1960s, it suspected that over 300 prisoners had been thrown into the depths of the lake, but of course, there were no records to support these claims. 
Kyler quite enjoyed history and read up on the lore of the lake and prison before visiting. The couple were not spiritual and were not likely to believe in some fairy tale or myth. Laura approached the edge of the cliff, overlooking the watering hole constellation, before turning to Kyler and saying, Oh, please don't eat me, please! It was a reference to the cult classic, and only sent them into a fit of giggles as they sat on the edge. It was silent for a while, as they both contemplated the horrific tales they had just listened to and realized the magnitude of sitting next to a lake full of dead bodies. Finally, Laura, with a glimmer in her eyes, spoke. I think we should jump in. I've heard that the fifth star is the correct one to get your wish granted. She grinned wide as she watched Kyler's face twist into an expression of true horror. You can't be serious, Laura. Did you even listen during that entire thing? And besides, they answer a question, not grant a wish, like some genie in a lamp. Kyler remarked, looking off toward the east shore, away from her, slightly annoyed that she didn't understand the severity of everything that happened at this landmark. But as he turned his head back, she had already gotten a running start, and before the word no could form on his lips, she leapt off the cliff. He was sure she was going to die. There was no way her trajectory was perfect enough to go straight into the hole. He began to visualize her hitting the rock and breaking all of her bones in many different ways, blood soaking the granite beneath her. And as he came away from this horrifying vision, he watched her near, closer to the rocks. But then, as if she were suddenly a professional diver, she was gone under the surface of the water. He needed to get down there. If she hadn't crashed into the rock surface, now she would drown. 3. It was a moment of pure spontaneity as she ran off the cliff. She had only one thought, aim for the fifth hole. There was one second of bliss as she soared through the air before plunging into the frigid water below. She made it, and before the weight of the situation became apparent, she uttered a single phrase into the black nothingness. But then there was something, something grasping for her, something trying to pull her deeper into the water. She could not see what was below her, she could only feel pain as it cut deeper and deeper into her ankle. Laura was still trapped beneath the rock shelf and would surely drown if she could not swim out from under it but she couldn't swim. The thing would not let her move enough to use her left leg to kick away. Instead, she had to grab the bottom of the rock shelf to pull herself along it, not caring about the blood leaving her raw hands as her nails getting torn off as she went. She only cared about breathing, and there was only one way. Halfway to the edge, there was a watering hole, not large enough to pull herself through, but at least she could stop for air. She only had 30 seconds to breathe before the thing tugged her harder and pulled her back into the water. At this moment, the sun broke through the watering hole to reveal the thing holding her down was a sharp black tendril attached to a large, amorphic body. It was mesmerizing. The only thing... The only... The way the body kept shape but no shape. It was not like seaweed blown by the waves. It was as if every part was a crystalline structure forming new sharp edges, new body parts but all part of the same black mass. Getting tugged further, the sun hit Laura's eye, breaking her free from the trance-like state of watching it beneath her. She had to keep fighting. She had to make it back to Kyler. After many more painstaking lurches for the end of the shelf, screaming in agony with every grip she made, she could see the end of the rocks, and then all she had to do was make it to the surface. But this was no easy task. Out from under the rock, she could see the lake before her, and the dark tendril reaching out of the darkness. 
In front of her seemed to be another rock formation, something to grab onto, something to climb up. She struggled hard against the blackness. She felt it ripping down her leg, but if she could slip, it could let go. So she continued toward the mass. Once there, she found it to be much more horrific than a rock formation. It was a pile of writhing dead bodies, all in different stages of decay, all reaching out for her. It was her only opportunity to make it to the surface. She began to climb as they grabbed and gnawed. Every place she put her hand or foot, something moved beneath it. She was running out of air. A body fell from the pile, and the dark tendril released her and went after it. She was free. Kyler was screaming for her, searching the waters, but to no avail. It was a black and green glue glistening in the sun with no vision of the waters below. Then he saw her struggling to swim, screaming, save me, over and over and over again. He made it to her and was able to pull her out onto the scorched ground surrounding the lake. She laid there like a dead body, only she was able to breathe. Kyler was screaming at her unintelligibly. He began to cry and hold her, and the only strength she had left, she held him back. Her fingers bled through his shirt and onto his back, but it didn't matter. She was alive, and all the tales were true. Words could not leave her mouth. She could not describe the horrors she had just witnessed, unsure in herself if any of it was real as she had looked down at the, her ankle. There was no blood or cut. Maybe oxygen deprivation created hallucinations, but in her heart she knew it was real. Finally, she was able to speak. Please never leave me, Kyler. I thought I was going to die. I thought I would never see you again. That was so stupid. I'm so, so sorry. And she began to cry. Kyler held her and they sat like that for a long while, until Kyler began to feel as if his eyes were staring at them for all, from all directions. He felt wrong. They needed to leave. Now. He got her up and they walked back to the car. The whole ordeal had taken less than an hour. Just 45 minutes prior, they had said goodbye to Jake as they felt drawn to the lake. And now, they started their small electric car and drove off, hoping to wipe this from their memories. 4. Laura had been craving a shower after being in the murky water. Fearing infection on her fingertips, she hopped in as soon as they got home. The water was warm and relaxing. She was finally able to clear her mind and enjoyed feeling clean again. She laid her head back and allowed the water to run over her face. In that moment, her vision went black. She was disoriented and confused. Lights were flashing. A horrible noise like a low-toned siren was filling her ears. She could feel the black tendril wrap around her ankle and start to pull her down the drain. Her limbs were unmoving. She could not scream. Kyler was just in the other room. If only he could hear her, but he couldn't and she was going to die. It was clawing up her leg. The tendril went from one talon to five, covering her body, pulling her down. In a matter of minutes, it would fully consume every part of her. She would be dismantled in her own shower and brought back to the horrific Lake Anoa to live forever as a black amorphous mass. She could feel it was her destiny. It was actually living forever, if you aren't truly living. Kyler had suspected Laura needed a long shower, but in his history of knowing her, she had never showered for over an hour, and when he knocked on the door, it was locked, and she was unresponsive. The day had been too horrific. He couldn't wait to find a key. He found the strength to kick down the door, and when he walked in and saw her mouth could only gape at the sight before him, 
She had gushed, gashed open her ankle. Her naked body crumpled over, clawing at the already inch-deep cut she had inflicted on herself. Blood streaked the whole shower. Even after he walked in, she was still digging into her skin, blood pouring out. He screamed. The shock had worn off. He grabbed her, ripping her hand from the, her gash and pulling her onto the bathroom floor. He cradled her as he applied pressure to her wound. Her eyes were glazed over, and she was not speaking, her hands still constricted and released as if it were still trying to scratch that uncontrollable itch. His hands were covered in blood. He needed to call 911. As he went to the sink, he looked down at his hands and watched the red blood turn black and sharp. It dug into his hands, crawling up the inside of his arm, along his veins. Another scream escaped his mouth, and like magic, the blood was normal again. He washed it off and called an ambulance. The ER doctor said Laura was fine and was lucky she had not hit an artery and bled out, although she would need to be kept for observation as she had suffered a psychotic break. Kyler would go home and rest and come back for her in the morning per the doctor's instructions. Everything would be fine. They all cooed at him. He did not feel fine. A pit was growing in his stomach. It was stabbing his other organs. He did not feel right leaving her there, but he had to. That night was restless. He thought he'd sleep. Why did I take her to that fucking prison? He said aloud. And all he felt was anger and regret. He feared for her life, and he felt like it was all his fault. He paced around the apartment most of the night. His feet ground into the hardwood floors. The neighbors below would complain, but who cares if you're dead? Who cares if I'm dead? was the next question he said aloud. The darkness was infiltrating his head, piercing, forming, doubt, self-loathing, and for reasons he could not explain, he felt compelled to go back to the lake. He found himself thinking of throwing himself off a cliff onto the rocks, but he also had a question. He finally slept, but only for an hour. The sleep was not deep. It was not blissful. It was not regenerative. It was an atrocious vision of Laura in her hospital bed with a black mass looming over her. Every time she took a breath, its body would crack and take a new shape. The cracking was that of a human spine over and over again, but every time it would grow slowly towards her, as if to consume her. He woke up in a cold sweat, tears streaming down his face. He needed to get to her fast. The day was clear, the sun shone bright, warming any face towards it. On any other day, the lake would be have boats and children swimming, but not on Lake Anoa. There, there, the only sun shows how dark the water is, how ominously calm the waves are. The sun illuminates the drone of fear looming over the entire body of water. The lake, usually devoid of life, had the same two lovers drawn to the edge. Kyler and Laura sat on the beach on the east shore, staring out mesmerized by the dark green water. Both knew they should not be there, although they were compelled to be. An omnipresent being brought them there. A true darkness had eaten their minds and stolen their souls. The devil would be an understatement, a silly demon playing tricks. They were stuck, sucked in, only to be absorbed by the age-old darkness. Kyler still had willpower. He could feel the warmth. He could feel life coursing through him. He slowly rose to his feet, about to turn away and walk back to the car. He could feel Laura get up, too. He hoped she was walking back with him, that she felt the life course through her as well. But as he turned back to look, she was standing at the edge of the lake, 
Her body began to crack, just as the black mass had done over the hospital bed. He saw her in shadow as if a cloud was just above her head, clouding all her human-like features. She grew limbs and bones stuck out. She distorted and contorted in ways he could not describe. She was not human anymore. She was something else. He needed to get away, far away, before it happened to him, too. Laura felt him get up to leave. She hadn't realized how long they had sat and stared at the lake, but she needed a closer look, to see things writhing below the surface. Just one last look. But as she got to the edge, she saw Kyler's limp body float above the surface of the black mirror until he reached the middle. He then began to change shape. But instead of becoming a black figure, his bones just began to break. For every breath he took, another one snapped right before her eyes. She had to get out of there. She had to save him. Laura waded into the depth-soaked waters, about to swim to the middle as fast as she could. She was only about five feet out when something yanked her back to shore. She was back on dry land. Laura looked to her savior to find Kyler's smiling face. Looking out over the water, Kyler's body wasn't there, hanging, and it wasn't floating into the darkness either. Everything would be back to normal. They were both safe and would live on together forever. There was a pain in her wrist then. He was gripping too tight, but why? She looked down and only saw black tendrils piercing into her wrist, and then through her stomach, stealing her breath. She looked up to see his smiling face one last time, but as he opened his eyes, a sharp blackness pulled them open and ripped through his skin, her ears filled with a train shrieking all around her, and pain sinking into every part of her body, like a stone sinking into a lake. Is this what it's like to live forever? <laughs>